honey on my lips. The psalmist said in Psalm 19 verse 10 about the word of God that it is sweeter than honey. Join Lady Reverend Adelaide Hayward Mills. Life has a way of dishing out to us things that we did not expect. Sometimes it's a dream that seems to be delayed. Many times you see a man, you know, he has a good job, he's a cool dude, his suit is smart, and you think, when I marry him, everything will be together. The unexpected is unexpected from our perspective, but from God's perspective, it is not unexpected. On Sweet Melodies 94.3, as she puts the honey of God's word on your lips, equipping you for all facets of life, this and every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Honey on my lips will change your life, preach good news to the poor, set the captives free, heal the brokenhearted, bring recovery of sight to the blind, and proclaim God's year of Jubilee. Honey on my lips. Mmm. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on Sweet Melodies. Blessed by God as you tune in to Lady Reverend Adelaide Pewart Mills. Father, thank you for your word. It saves our lives. It washes us with water. By the cleansing of water by your blood, we are made whole. Your word is a light. It leads us out of darkness. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It operates on us like the surgeon. And it removes unwanted things from our lives. Your word, oh God, brings us direction and guidance. This afternoon, we exalt your word above everything. I bring down every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. I pull down every resistance to the word of God. And I say, let the word of God go and accomplish that for which the Father is sending it out this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to continue on. Sin is dangerous. Amen, somebody. I would like to tell you certain things about sin. What you must know about sin. Before I get into my next story, we spoke about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah yesterday, and we will continue. Now let's turn our Bibles, if we have them, to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It hasn't gone anywhere. First book. Okay? If you haven't gone there, or you can't reach it, say, Lady Reverend, wait for me. Amen? And if you are there, say, I'm there. Okay. Well, this is a popular story about Cain and Abel. Okay, let's read from verse 2. This is talking about Eve. She gave birth to Cain and Abel. And the Bible says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. So Cain was the firstborn. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain a worker of the ground. So Abel looked after sheep. And Cain looked after a farm. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Amen. Now, these are 
two brothers. One is Abel, one is Cain. Abel brings an offering, an acceptable offering unto God. And Cain brings something that is not an acceptable offering. So there are different types of offering. Amen? And when men look at you, they feel that we are all bringing an offering. But God knows whether it's acceptable or not. Some of you, when you are giving offering to church, then you divide it into two. Half for the kebab man and half for Sunday school. And God sees it and says, Oh, the offering he's bringing is unacceptable. So sometimes, judgment comes early. But some of you, you keep doing, doing, say, Oh, Lady Reverend, what judgment? We'll talk about that. Judgment does come. Amen. Now God said, Abel brought his offering. I'm happy with it. Cain brought his offering. I'm not happy with it. But I'm also not quarreling with him. But the Bible says that Cain looked at Abel and he wasn't happy. That why has God accepted Abel's offering and not mine? Meanwhile, he knew the reason. But he wasn't willing to one, repent or to even correct what he had done. But he rather was angry with his brother for doing what is right. And sometimes in our school, in church, and among our friends, somebody can be angry at you, not because you have done anything, but because you've done what is right in the sight of God. Amen. And God came and said, but why are you angry? If you did well, will I not be happy with you? And since you've done what you want to do, why are you? But the significant thing is verse 7. It said, sin lieth at the door. For each and every one of us, there's a door of our lives. And sin lies at the door. Why does it lie at the door? So that immediately you open, he can come in. Now sin is depicted as a human being. Because it's human beings who lie at the door. I believe that most of the time, sin is brought or transported by demons. So when the Bible says sin is lying at the door, the demon of whatever sin has been sent to the door of your life. And it is not like the watchmen in Ghana who sleep in the night and when you are calling them, they don't hear. Sin is very, what? It's a light sleeper and just sleeps at the door of our lives. So God told Cain, you may not be aware, but sin is lying at the door. And its desire is to have you. So sin has a desire. And that is Satan's desire, his wishes, what he wants and likes to happen to us. And the Bible says, he would like to take over your life. He would like to come into the door and take over your entire life. Sin lieth at the door and has desired to have you. Amen? But it says, but thou must master it. God was advising Cain, you are angry. That's how Satan comes in. You are stealing. That's how Satan comes in. You are lying. That's how Satan comes in. But you are totally oblivious. You say, hey, as for Kweku, he's very smart. Oh. He always outsmarts his mother. Really? He is very sinful. He's not very smart. But you have devised another name for sin so that it won't think so much. And so that you can say something else. But this is one of the cardinal reasons why sin is dangerous. Because if indeed it is lying at the door, if I were you, I would not open that door to sin. To come into my life. Amen. But some of you, you have opened the door, you have cooked for him, you have given him a sofa, he has sat on it when he finished he, he ate, he slept, 
And he has even been fellowshipping with you. But when sin lies at the door, that's not what we have to do. We have to run away from sin. Amen. And God advised Cain that the way sin is lying at your door, let me advise you that it has a desire to take over your life. Amen, somebody. The desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Or you must master it. A lot of you, you are the servant of sin. Sin is not your servant. Sin is your master. And God is saying the roles must change. And you must become the master over sin. Amen. Yesterday, I spoke about how we were going to master sin. I don't know if you remember. But I spoke about the fact that man is a spirit. He has a soul. And he lives in a body. And so therefore, if... If you get born again, your body is the same and it's your spirit man that God has changed. And so the spirit man must overcome the emotions and the body. Amen. Now let's look at Job 1, 9 to 10. And I'll come back to Cain and Abel. Job 1, verse 9 to 10. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10. Thou hast made a hedge around him and about his house and about all that he has on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Amen. Why are you telling us all this? I'm telling you that God has put a hedge around all of us amen and not only around you around your house like he has done for job and around everything that you have and except god allows it and god allows you to be tempted the devil can never get you because there's a hedge around you amen but then when you look at ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8 Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And whoever breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Now, a hedge around us is created by God. But we break that hedge with sin. Amen, somebody. Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. And who is called that old serpent? Who deceives the world? The Bible says it's called Satan. So if you break that hedge, and we break it by sinning continually, not being sorry about it, not caring about it, not being sad about it, but continuing in it. And the Bible says when you do that, a serpent, that is Satan, will bite you. How does he get to bite you? He's lying at the door. So as soon as the hedge is broken, access. He comes in. Amen. Ephesians 4 verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. The devil hasn't, doesn't have a place if you are a born again Christian unless you give him a place. And one of the major ways we give a place to the devil in our lives is by sin. Yes, you may not be perfect, but you can still be holy. Amen? You may not be perfect, but you have a perfect heart towards God. God knows that you, you are doing your best. You are sacrificing your best. You want to be the best for him. Just that sometimes, just sometimes, you stumble a little. But some of us, that's not the case. Sin is our profession. 
and even lying. You see, when you do something so much, the Bible says that you develop a seared conscience. Your conscience doesn't react anymore. Every time the Holy Spirit is a little voice, it tells us, don't do that. Don't go there. And then when you lie, you feel so bad. Oh my, why did I lie? And instantly, you go to God. And you say, God, forgive me for what I've done. And you don't want to do it again. But when you become used to sin, you've even forgotten that it's sin. To you, it's just living. Lying is living. Deception is living. Immorality is living. There's no restraint. The only difference between you and the world is that you come to church. The only difference between you and the world is that you sing in church. But when it comes to character, that Christ lives in you and has changed you, there's nothing like that. And God is counseling Cain, Abel, Cain, before he becomes controlled by the devil. That be careful. The way you are angry, sin is at the door. And its desire is to have you. So don't allow it to rule over you or to master you. But you rather overcome. But Cain does not take God's advice. So as the story goes, in the end, the sin that was anger, it grows. And it becomes something else. Let's read on. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, when they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. You see, one sin leads to another. I don't know. Now you have become rude. Am I my brother's keeper? You're asking God. When he's asking you, Where is Abel? Instead of acknowledging your sin, you are going deeper and deeper. And now you are saying, Am I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's like, why should you be asking me? Remember that it started with anger. Then it went to his face falling. He had a bad attitude, like some of you have when you are sent at home. When they say, go and get the video remote, you'll be saying in your head, but it's just lying here and they are calling me. I know because I've been a child like you before. My father used to sit by the fridge. Then he would call me from first floor. Mommy! When I come, yes, daddy. Come and take water for me. And I'll be saying in my head, small hand that you will stretch to open the fridge to you can't do. How many of you can relate to what I'm saying? May the Lord forgive you your sins. Now, as I have grown up myself, I've become worse than my father. Sometimes it's not even a fridge, it's something just lying by me. But somehow I just don't feel like taking it. So then I call my children. Hey, Paula, come and take it from me. And then when she, she will say that, ah, but mommy, it was just here. I say, hey, never say that to me again. But it's because I've also said some before. And he had a bad attitude. His face fell. And God warned him midstream on that journey of sinning that be careful sin is at the door it's desires to have you but you must rule over it but he doesn't mind you come to church we preach you were at stage one anger stage two bad attitude and bad face you still didn't change stage three god sends a, a, a warning word to you you don't listen stage four Sin becomes full grown. And then you rise up and you become a murderer. Something that you thought you could never be, you become. When we're growing up as Christians, there was a song, one thing leads to another. How true it is. So sin is something that always wants to be near you. The Lord is near you, but sin is also near you. And wherever the Lord wants to go, sin also wants to come. But God has given us the power to overcome sin. The Bible says, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Amen. So the first thing you must know about sin is that 
sin has a desire to rule over you. And also, I have made the second point that sin is a way of breaking the hedge around us. They said, if you break a hedge, a serpent, which is Satan, will bite you. So God has put protection around you. Why do you want to lose your virginity at such a young age? Whether you are male or female, why are you in a hurry to experiment things that you don't even understand? Why are you in a hurry to have a boyfriend? If he's just your friend, what is wrong with that? And Satan will always start by lying at the door. He says, oh, just, <laughs> oh, it's okay, just have him as a boyfriend. Yesterday I was reading it in the question and answer time. He said, I like this girl, but I didn't know how to, so I tried to be close to her. And now we are getting closer and closer and closer. That's how it is. Before we know, you have become something else. He that breaketh a hedge, the serpent will bite him. Amen? So sin is something that breaks God's hedge of protection around us. And we must not allow that to be our portion. The next point is that there is a day of judgment. That is why we must be careful the way we live. Sin is dangerous because it can make you very hot on judgment day. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23 to 24. Matthew 11, 23 to 24. Jesus was talking to a nation. And you, Capernaum, Will not, be, will, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. Hades is hell. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Verse 24. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Amen, somebody. Jesus is talking, speaking in a country. And he says, you Capernaum, you Accra, you Ghana. When Sodom and Gomorrah is put by you in the day of judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah will be regarded as saints. Yesterday we saw that God rained fire and brimstone on Sodom. Years after, thousands of years after Jesus comes and says to Capernaum that, if the miracles you are seeing now, if the saved church you are in now, if the messages you are hearing now, if the, 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 the healing services you are in now, the things you know about God, if they had been done in Sodom, they would have been alive up to today when Jesus was speaking. Because they would have repented. So it's not going to be easy for those of you who know more about the things of God and you are still not repented. And he says that it will be more tolerable for them on the judgment day. My point is there is a judgment day. Whether you like it or not, brown leaves fall and green leaves fall. The young die, the old die. It is always our prayer that the young will not die young. So sometimes we say, yes, Jesus will come, and then there will be judgment. But there's another way of meeting Jesus, and that is when you are called to report to heaven for duty. And when that judgment day comes, it's not who is your friend. It's not the clique you belong to. It's not how popular you are in school. It's not the nice clothes you have. It's not even the fact that you are a fascinista of your age. But it is what you have done in this body. You must give an account of it. Ask your friend sitting next to you. Are you ready for the judgment day? You know, as I live on this earth, Sometimes you look at some people and you say, oh, 
This person, she's very holy. This person, she's very pure. It's not the person being very holy. First of all, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, it's the fear of God. Do you understand? You fear God so much that there are certain things that you dare not do. Not because you are no human, but because you fear God. And you fear the consequences. I am afraid not to have... I'm afraid to have somebody on this earth that I don't talk to. I'm afraid to have somebody in my life that I can't forgive. I am afraid to have somebody that I'm bitter against. I'm afraid. Because I know the effects of sin. And I know that if God is to judge me on that, what will I do? So because of some foolish girl who insulted me, I should go to hell? No way. No way. It's too expensive. I can't afford it. Amen? Some of you are sitting here, you don't talk to some people in your lives. You are breaking the hedge around you. The serpent is coming to bite you. Do you know the serpent? The serpent will bring in the spirit of bitterness. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest the root of bitterness springing up from among you trouble you and defile others. Some of you, as young as you are, you are very bitter against your father. As young as you are, you are very bitter against your mother. As young as you are, you are very bitter against your pastor. As young as you are, you are bitter against your shepherd. You are bitter against your own friend. You are bitter against the church to which you belong. Hey, sin is lying at your door. And you better not allow it to master you. Amen. So we must be conscious of the fact that there's a judgment day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 10. Paul is the one speaking. Please give me NASB. Paul is the one speaking. And he says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That is God. Verse 10. Because we must all appear. Where? At the fashion show. At the polag. Before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Are we going there for a fashion parade? No. So that each one may be recompensed or paid back for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Amen? The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This one is wilder than the judgment seat of your parents. It's wilder than the judgment seat of your teacher. It's wilder than the judgment seat of the grandmother you live with. It's wilder than the judgment seat of your lecturer. We must all, in this case, it doesn't matter whether you are a pope, a cardinal, a bishop, a pastor, a leader, a what, a lead singer. We must all, whether great or small, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that we may give an account of what we have done in our bodies. There's a day to give an account. When it's exam time, you give an account of all that you have been taught that term. Not so. And whether you have learned it properly. In the same way, we will appear before Christ. And we will give an account of what we have done in this body. We live as if there's no judgment day. We live as if there's no judge. Even human beings have a judge. Amen? When I was actively practicing law, I appeared before judges. Even a human judge is not easy. You know, it takes the same qualification to be a judge as it takes to be a lawyer. 
And then when you finish, to start from the lowest court, it was, I'm sure it's the same, that you, you, could, you have to practice for 18 months. And after that, you start your career as a judge. And those of us who want to continue to be lawyers, we just continue. Now, after those 18 months, when your mate has been appointed, maybe you are even smarter than him, or you used to eat domedo with him. But when you appear before him in court, first of all, you are not supposed to be naked. In law, when we say you are naked, it means you are not wearing the prescribed gown or uniform. So it's not that you are not wearing anything, but you have tried to go and wear blue shirt. It's not allowed. You are naked. You see, so when you come, the person who has been your mate, he will tell you, Mrs. Seward Mills, I cannot hear your case because you have appeared before me naked. You can't get up and say, oh, but Christy, we were in school together. We bought a, a domedo together. What are you saying? No, because you are now in a court. And this is your friend that you have appeared before, your mate, oh. A judgment seat. You're, you're, eh, you got even better grades than that boy. But he's, he has decided to be a judge. So he's a judge. It's his work. And you have appeared before him. Then when he is coming, the stage is here. There's a rostrum for the judge. And the door is here. That's the chambers. The judge is coming out of those chambers. You are sitting on this front row with a long table. That's what we call the bar. As the judge comes, to sit behind this podium. The court clerk says, Her Lordship, Christina, Ababrese presiding. Then you, you were in class with the person, then you get up. Court rise! Then you get up. Then the Christina Ababrese comes. Then she bows. When she bows, before you bow. And then when you bow, you don't sit down. When she sits down, before you sit down, you're made to. You can't say, oh, Christy, by you, pa. Sit down and let's see what we will do. You cannot. Because it's a judgment seat. Amen? And then when you are on your feet, you are talking. You know, you have to introduce yourself. You can't just be calling her, oh, Christy, I just brought my case. My Lord, I am, I am Adelaide Heward Mills presenting the plaintiff. Then you bow. Then you sit down. What a shock. You call him my Lord, my honor, your worship. What do you mean? And then when you sit down, she's listening to your case. Yes, then you call your, your person. Give the court your name, where you live, and your particulars. Then the person will be given. Then the judge decides that she wants to interrupt. So she just takes her gavel. And you, you feel that you are making a point. Pa. She says, stop. There used to be a judge who used to annoy my father-in-law very much. Because when she hears small, then she will get up and go. And go and smoke in chambers. And then she will come back. You can't say anything. You can't say Sherry. Why? Because you are before a judgment seat. Amen. Now, when the, the judge decides that she wants to go on recess, she can go on recess. Or you can just appear. Then the judge, you, you mention your case. Eh? Adjourned till uh, September. Uh, uh, then the, the, the court clerk will say, adjourned till September. Next case, uh, you are standing there. You feel that your case is very urgent. You must do that. But you are before a judgment seat. You can't come and manifest. And if this is a human court, how much more? A heavenly court. How much more? A divine court. Amen? The Bible says, for we must all appear. That's why you can't say, I won't come. You can't say, oh, go and hold brief for me. I'm not well. There's nothing like that. We must all appear. Whether you like it or not, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that as a group you say, oh God, we're actually a group of friends hey, come Mary, Maria, Malette and Marietta we are here 
Yeah, Lord, we were the group in church. Yeah, we were the latest. Of the... No, each one. The Bible says each one must be rewarded for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Once you live in life and you go up and down, do you have a consciousness of the judgment seat of Christ? Do you know that you have to give an account of the things you have done in this body, whether good or bad? No wonder you live anyhow. You live as if there's no judge in your life. And you live as if there's no Christ to appear before. But there's a Christ to appear before. Amen, somebody. Colossians 3, verse 24 to 25. Amen, somebody. This one is not my own ideas. It's the word of God. Colossians 3. It's 24 and 25. Let's read from 23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than for men. 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Amen, young people. Whatever you do, work with a cheerful attitude, heartily, as if you are working for the Lord and not for a man. Amen? The reason why we don't live the way we should live is because we are always conscious of a man and not of God. I am a pastor, not because I'm pleasing a man. And not because I'm pleasing Bishop Doug, but I'm pleasing God who called me. Amen? And therefore, when I'm doing the work, you see, as a pastor, there are many things that can affect the way you do your work. You can look and say, oh, people don't appreciate what I do. So nowadays, when I'm doing things, I won't do it with my whole heart. Oh, people never forget, uh, remember to say thank you. So... I will not do things with all my heart. Sometimes it's okay even if they don't say thank you. But when they return evil for good, that's also another level. So you say, oh, people return evil for good. So I will not do, but the Bible says no. You must work heartily, ask for the Lord, rather than men. So what you are doing, they are calling you. Come, come and worship. Come and sweep every day. Come and wash up. You are doing it to Jesus. Not to mommy. Not to daddy. Not even to your auntie. Not to your grandmother. But to the Lord. Amen. So as you are saying, mm, every day, every day me. Every day me. Remember that it's Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you like Sunday. Every day me. Every day. It's not your mother. It is Jesus. Amen. So it says, do it as unto the Lord, rather than for men. Verse 24. Knowing this, that God will reward you. Amen? God will reward you. Amen, young people? And he adds, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You are not serving a man. You are serving God. Amen, somebody. Now, Lady Reverend, we know that there's a judgment seat. We know that we will be judged, but according to what? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to 5. Stand to your feet. You are becoming lazy. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Stand to your feet, everybody. 12 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 to 15. Now, if any man built on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, 
and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. What's the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that whatever we are doing, some of us are using hay. That's stubble. Please go to verse 12 again. Some of us are using silver to build. Some of us are using precious stones. Some of us are using gold. Some people are using sand. Some people are using hay. Some people are using wood. They all have their different value. And the Bible says that the work, you see, the foundation is Christ. Everything else you are doing, you are building upon the foundation. But you can choose which material to base, build your life with. Gold is not easy to find. That's why it's not everywhere. That's why they go into the earth. Some of them, you remember the Chilean miners? They got caved in under the bowels of the earth. Why? You are looking for gold or something precious. Silver is precious. Precious stones. Do you know precious stones like topaz, ruby, emerald? Go and look for all of them and look at what they look like and add it to your knowledge. But you can also build with precious stones. Then now it's coming down. You can build with wood. You just break a tree here and say, Lord, I have built. Building character. Building purity. Building holiness with wood. And then you can build with hay. That one there is grass. You just look for any dry grass. You just cut it. You say, Lord, I'm also building. Or you look for straw, which is like a, a, a longer a, a whatever of grass. You look for straw. And you say, Lord, I've built. Because straw is what you get from leaves. It's very easy. And you say, Lord, I've built. And others are building with gold. They are going into the earth. They are trying to excavate it. They are trying to bring it out. They are trying to purify. They are trying to say, oh, this girl, she's so some way. This girl, she doesn't know life. This girl, she saw this. But on the judgment day, and even before the judgment day, judgment begins sometimes on earth, you know. The Bible says so. You see that the fire will come and pass through. Then your house, you will not have a house anymore. You will now be staying outside. The wind is blowing. The rain, the floods are taking you. Why? Because you didn't build with precious stones. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, what at all are you building with? I know you. You like to build with grass. You like easy things. But from today, look for gold. Look for silver. Look for precious stones because your house will be tested. Amen. Give yourself a hand and take your seats. Hallelujah. When you are obedient, when you pay the price to be holy, when you pay the price to do what is right, when you pay the price not to go to internet sites you should not go to. When you pay the price not to have discussions you should not have. When you pay the price not to use foul language. When you pay the price not to have a stranger as your friend in the internet cafe. When you pay the price not to discuss things that you wouldn't like other people to hear. When you pay the price to dress like the temple of God and not like a kiosk. When you pay the price to be honest and truthful. When you pay the price, you are building with gold. You are building with gold. You are building with gold. Hallelujah, somebody. A lady reverend, all that you have said, so what should we do? Hebrews chapter 12. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers. When you say somebody is a pioneer, it means the first person to have done something. So all these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we had better get on with it. Strip down. Start running. And never quit. No extra spiritual fat. 
No parasitic sins. Verse 2. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race. Amen, somebody. I'll still read maybe from King James, I don't know. Okay, give us King James as well. From verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, I'm, I'm hammering more on the second part, and here it comes. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Amen. The Bible says a lot of witnesses in heaven and around us are cheering us on. Apostle Paul, Peter, James, Jesus, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, everybody in the Bible, Moses, they are all cheering us on from heaven. They are seeing us run the race. And they are cheering us from the grandstands of heaven. It's greater than Brazil 2014. And they are saying, go for it. Go for it. Because they ran. And then they brought you the baton. When, before they brought it, you were warming up. And when they brought the baton, you were like this. And then you took it. That is the baton of the Christian race. Like Lady Reverend Erica said, the first fire. It began from this to that and from this. Now it's your turn. And you are in the tracks. And you are just trotting, and you get the baton, and you start to run. And then Peter, James, and John, and Moses, they stand up on the grandstand, and they say, Go for it, make it, don't stop, keep on, fight the good fight. You are almost there, don't give up. The Holy Ghost is on your side, Jesus is on your side, strength is on your side, keep on. And you are running. That's what the Bible is saying. And it said, as you are running, please wear the right gear. He says, don't go and wear a maxi skirt to run. Do you know maxi skirt? Long skirts. Don't go and wear, what shouldn't you wear? Pencil heel. To run. Wear things that are light. And things that will help you, even when the wind is blowing, it will propel you faster. Don't wear a wedding gown. Some of you, the reason why you have besetting sins is because of some foolish boy. So you are supposed to travel light, but you have put him on your back. And because of that, it's a weight. Some things are not sins, but they are weights. They hinder the way you can run. They hinder how fast you can run. They hinder you being the first prize winner because it has slowed you down. The Bible says, therefore, seeing we are compassed about with all the witnesses, let us not pray for an angel, you. Lay aside every weight. If it's that foolish boy, you are a weight. If it's impurity, you are a weight. If it's immorality, you are a weight. If it's stealing, you are a weight. If it's dishonesty, you are a weight. If it's ungodly friends, you are a weight. Stand aside and let me run to the finish line. Amen, somebody. Lay aside. Every weight. How can you run with platforms? How? When people are running with running shoes, you are wearing platforms and you are walking like Sakramodu and you are coming when others are running to the finishing mark. I tell you, in my walk with God, there have been many weights. When I got to the university, I was born again from a very tender age, like I keep saying. From the age of nine, Jesus came into my life and touched me. 
I believe there must have been a certain grace on my life. Because as I went along, no matter how hard I tried to be a guy, it didn't work. You know that every race, when you are running, you are getting to the end, the tape is there. And when you pass the tape, you raise your hand and everything is victorious. So I ran that race of setting aside relationships that were weights. But when you want to run with no hindrance, you lay aside every weight. And when I lay aside that weight and I reach the end of the tip, with the passage of time and some months and some years, do you know what was waiting at the end of the tip? Amen! So when you are uh, laying aside the weights, you'll be crying, oh God. When you look back, you say, I cried over this. What type of nonsense is that? What was I thinking about? Amen! So the Bible says we should lay aside every weight, number one. Number two, and the sin, the sin that so easily besets us. Everybody has a besetting sin. What is a besetting sin? It is something that makes you trip. It is something that makes you stumble. And everybody has the besetting sin. So we have to look in our lives and see what is the besetting sin. Some of you, the besetting sin is discussing foolish things. It's your besetting sin. Amen? Besetting sin is unwholesome language that you are always using in secret. Amen? Besetting sin is immorality, anything that trips you. Turn to the person next to you and say, what is the sin that you commit very easily? What did they say? What is the sin that you commit very easily? Do you know that it's called a besetting sin? It says we should also lay aside every besetting sin. So look in your life. What is the sin that you are always falling into? You are always committing. You are always, it's something that the Bible says, lay it aside. Amen? And the next verse is a key one. Verse 2. Lady Reverend, how do we run this race? How do we lay aside the weights? How do we lay aside besetting sins? Looking unto Jesus. If you don't look at Jesus, you will fail. If you don't look at Jesus, you will become discouraged. If you don't look at Jesus, you will not see the prize. If you don't look at Jesus, you will not see the finishing line. If you don't look at Jesus, you will not have strength. For the word of God says, the Lord is the strength of my life. So after it has told you to do all this, so that whilst you are running, look unto Jesus, the author. That means the beginning. And the finisher, that means the end of our faith. Why? Who for the joy that was set before him. Look, if only this earth is all that we live for, then our existence is very miserable. There's no peace on earth. There's death. There are incurable diseases. There are broken homes. There are broken marriages. There's misunderstanding. There's confusion. There's betrayal. All because the earth is full of men who are from a fallen race. But when you look at the joy that was said, Jesus looked at the joy and said, I'm going to resurrect. Yes, I'm going to die on the cross, but I'm seeing the resurrection, not the cross. I'm seeing the many brothers and sisters I'm going to gain from dying, not the cross. I'm seeing the power I'm going to release into the earth, not the cross. So you too, you must see heaven. You must see eternity. You must see the blessing of the Lord with no sorrow. So that you don't give up as you run. 
towards the finishing line. I pray for you that in years to come, if the Lord is to grant us long life, even if we are old and we are walking like this, it will be my greatest joy to see you in all corners of the world standing up to preach the gospel, standing up to work for Jesus, standing up to speak the uncompromising word of God. I want to hear of you in Asia. I want to hear of you in Australia. I want to hear of you in Africa. I want to hear of you in Europe. I want to hear of you in North America. I want to hear of you in South America. I want to know that today was not in vain. I want to know that you run your race and you finish. I want to know that because of you, the kingdom of God is marching forward. I want to know that the seeds that we planted were not in vain. But they were scattered all over the earth. And they brought the kingdom of God to a dimension like we never even got to do. May the Lord bless you and use you. May you not abort his call on your life. May sin not finish you. But may you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I see a lifting up. I see a harvest. And you are the ones going into the fields that are white. And bringing many out of darkness into his marvelous light. Receive the anointing. Receive the grace. Receive the keeping power of God. Receive the strength that comes from Jehovah. And may you not compromise with a fallen and lost world. But may you be a light in the midst of darkness. I prophesy over you. May your life be set apart for his glory. May you not make a detour. May the sins of the world and the perversion, the crookedness of a crooked and perverse generation, may the Lord lift you high up above that. When the enemy comes in like a flood, may the Spirit of the Lord on your behalf raise a standard against him. And may you stand as a firebrand for Jehovah. If you can use anything, Lord, use these young people. You called me from the age of nine. You used me to preach in the marketplaces. To grown-ups, Lord. They wept and they gave their lives to you. You preserved me from sin. You kept me pure till the day I married. And your hands have still kept me. I pray for multiplied grace on the lives of the young people. May they do more than we are doing. May they serve you and be devoted more than even we were. Thank you for answered prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just finished hearing this message and I cannot leave you without giving you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to say, Lady Reverend Adley, pray for me. I don't know whether I'll go to heaven or hell when I die. I'm not sure of where I will go or my destination. I want to make things right with God. I want to start afresh with God. I want Jesus to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. If you want to have Jesus as the Lord of your life, I just want to invite you to say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. Please wash me in the blood of Jesus. Take my life and come inside and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for coming to die for me, Jesus. Thank you for rising from the dead so that I may have eternal life. And thank you that by this prayer, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus, come in and be Lord of my life. Amen. Jesus,
It was great having you today. To find out more about the CDs and DVDs advertised on today's program, or to find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.